Does anybody here really just like to know how things work? Yeah? You just want to tinker something, you want to take it apart and understand it, or have someone teach you how to understand it? Yeah, Andrew, I know you told me you took apart your Nerf guns just so you could figure out how they work. Some of you, maybe that's your job, engineers, you, you figure stuff out. Uh, has anybody seen this book? Is this familiar with anyone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved that book when I was a kid. It was on our shelf. The way things work, um, just understanding bridge structures and the way a nautilus shell is designed and, and stuff like that. Um, there are certain things that just, just get my curiosity. I just want to understand them. Uh, some things I don't really care about. But um, some things I do, and and there's a whole corner of the internet that is YouTube videos and channels that just explain things. Uh, One of them is my favorite, Smarter Every Day, and just videos about how rocket factories work and how sea turtles work and grain bins and things like that. Um, Our our kids have some of that fascination too, Maybe, maybe your kids do too, and you get a lot of those questions. How does that work? This week my kids ask, how are geodes made? So we went and looked it up and figured out how geos are formed, and hopefully we can figure out where to look for them better. Uh, We're going to look at a place in Scripture, 2 Timothy 3 here, and verses that are familiar to you, I think, uh, verse 16 to 17 specifically, talk about how Scripture works. Uh, And it's uh, really, it's one of the best places in Scripture that Scripture talks about itself, one of the the, the key texts that we go to to understand what Scripture says about itself. And uh, we're going we're gonna to look at that. Uh, we're going to look at some of the other context around it, though. That's why we're going to start back in verse 14 and go all the way into chapter 4. And another part of the context that we need to understand when we go to this, uh, this book, 2 Timothy, is probably the last thing Paul wrote, at least that we have access to. Within months of him writing this letter to Timothy, maybe even weeks, um, Paul was executed, uh, was martyred for his faith. And, and he knew that as he's writing this, he, he knew his, his time was coming short. And that doesn't mean that this book is more important than anything else he wrote, but uh, it, it's bringing really into focus what are the last things that he wants to say about, he wants to say about, about the church, that he wants to say about God's word, that he wants to pass on to young Timothy, uh, a preacher, but not just a preacher, to, to believers in general, to the church as a whole. What does he want to say? And in this context, he's also acknowledging there is a, a great amount of resistance to God's word. Paul's experiencing persecution. Timothy experienced the same type of persecution. And gets to uh, later, when we're going to look here in, in chapter 4, an, an audience that just doesn't really want to hear God's word. And to a degree, we all have a, a natural resistance to God's word because we're born that way. It's only because the Spirit works in our hearts that we want to hear what God says to us. So I encourage you, maybe, maybe you're prone to, to not really want to hear what God's Word says about itself or about God or what God's Word says about you or what you do in your life. I encourage you to have ears that are, are ready to hear this morning. Let, let's pray about that before we dive in. You know, we, we do pray that our ears would be ready to hear your words this morning, and, and not just our ears. Uh, but our hearts, our hearts would be tuned and, and, and receptive to uh, the words that you speak through the Bible this morning, that we are uh, ready to hear that. And we pray that it would do in us what it is designed to do, that it would work in us the way you have designed it to work. We pray this 
In Jesus' name, amen. So how does God's word work? We're going to kind of zoom in here, these first couple verses, 16 and 17. Look at it up close. What are kind of the nuts and bolts here? In verse 16 and 17, we read, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. It says God's word is profitable, is useful for something. This is what it's useful for. It's for these, these four things that lists first. It teaches, it reproves, it corrects, and it trains in righteousness. We were up at camp this, this year, uh, family camp, and I was there also during a junior boys camp. Uh, these verses are the theme of camp all year, and if you were at camp, or maybe you know, some of our people are there right now, Pastor Phil walks through these verses and, and lays out what these four things mean, the teaching, the reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. And I actually remember he was here several years ago, maybe eight, ten years ago, and he did the same thing here on a Sunday night. So I don't know if any of you remember this, but he, he walks through it like this. He says this, this teaching, uh, teaching is telling us what is right. This is what you're supposed to do. Uh, reproof is saying, no, that's not right. And then the correction is saying, how do you get back right? And then training in righteousness is how to stay right. And it's kind of like this progressive approach, how God's, work continues to, God's word continues to work in us over time. Uh, and I think that's a really helpful way to look at it. Different people handle it differently. Some people would say it's more like this, that the, the teaching and the reproof are the do this, don't do this, about what we think, what we know, what we believe. It's, it's right doctrine. It's right heart attitudes. And on the other side, you have the, the correction and the training in righteousness. It's the do this, don't do that of our conduct, what we do and what we say. I think you could probably slice this any number of ways. I think there are, there are truths in, in both of those approaches. Uh, so I want to draw out some of these things. We kind of distill these things down. Um, what are the things that we are saying God's word is doing here, that, that God's word is saying it's doing here. It's that inside-outside approach. It's not just talking about what you're supposed to do. Do this, don't do that. It's also talking about what's supposed to happen on the inside of you, what you're supposed to think, what you're supposed to believe, what you're supposed to want. Sometimes we might break those apart too much. We might think it's one or the other. You know, go to Sunday school and you just learn everything you're supposed to need to know about the Bible, but it doesn't really change the way you live. Or, or, you know, just tells you a bunch of do's and don'ts, but doesn't really give you a really good doctrine. It's not either or, it's both and. We understand in the rest of scripture, those things are tied together. The inside and the outside of our lives are tied together. We do what we do because of what happens on inside, in our hearts. And God's word speaks to all of that. It speaks to both the inside and the outside. It's also positive and negative. Do this. This is what you should think and believe and do don't do that. It's, it's correcting those wrong things. It's teaching us things that we wouldn't know otherwise. It's, it's teaching us things. It's not saying scripture is just a good reminder, right? It does that for us, right? That we've learned things and then we forget them and then scripture teaches us again. It's a teacher. He teaches us things that we don't otherwise know. It gives us knowledge. It gives us information that we don't otherwise have. But then on the, uh, the negative side of it, it tells us there are things that you are thinking and believing and wanting that you shouldn't. Don't do that. Don't think that. 
don't believe that about God. So it's positive and it's negative. This teaching aspect that I was talking about is giving us things we wouldn't know otherwise. This is a major theme here in 2 Timothy. 37 times Paul is writing and he uses words about God's word teaching us, giving us new information, giving us knowledge, acquiring wisdom. And even at the end of his days, Paul knows his days are numbered and he still wants books. Send me books and parchments. I can identify with that. That's, that's one of the main jobs of scriptures, that we learn things we wouldn't otherwise know. There's another aspect here where it, God's word is both responsive and preventative. In, in the positive sense, it's telling us the way that we should go. So ideally, we do what we're supposed to do and think what we're supposed to think, and, we, and then we don't have to be corrected. But it does correct us when we're wrong. There's this corrective, responsive aspect to it. And if you saw the image I had up there first when I was diagramming everything, I put that kind of on railroad tracks. And uh, I really like this analogy of, of, of railroads. And it, when we were hearing Pastor Phil walk through this up at family camp, it connected with something we were teaching our kids. Um, and and this, the, the railroad is just a really helpful analogy for a lot of things in our Christian life. Because... If you go off the rails, what happens? This happens, right? Uh, that is not where that train is supposed to be, right? <laughs> the train was not designed to go there. Um, us, in our lives, we are designed to go a certain way. We are created to go a certain way. We're created to fit like on train tracks. And if in our sin, we take ourselves off those train tracks, what is the result? Something maybe like this. There is destruction that, that comes because we were, we're not where we're supposed to be. We're not going after what we were designed to pursue. Here's another image of a derailment more recently. And I like this picture because it shows those wheels. Those wheels, what happens when they're on the tracks? They can just go, right? There's no resistance there's, there's, uh, those tracks seem limiting, but when the tr those uh, wheels are on the tracks, there's actually freedom, right? There's momentum. There, there's no resistance. It can go where it's supposed to go. But as soon as we, in our sin, say, no, I want to go over here, those, we don't accomplish what we're designed to accomplish. We lose the momentum. We lose the power that we have, and there comes destruction. And God's word teaches us that. It teaches us this is the way that you should go positively and it, it sets us up for success and faithfulness but it also says when we get off and this happens God's word also speaks to that it tells us how to get right there's one other aspect here I think God's word is acting here it acts kind of as a reference but it acts also in a as a comprehensive worldview um, it's the difference between it, me as a cook such as I am, deciding last week, I want to make latkes, and so I go online and I say, latke recipe, and I find a recipe, and we go and make it. You should try it, by the way, especially the cheese kind. Uh, latke, latke recipe. I went and I, I referenced the internet and found a, a, a recipe, and I was able to, to do that, right? How do you make latkes? I referenced it, and I got my answer. There's a difference between that and me going through culinary school and fully understanding all the dynamics and aspects of the culinary world. I've not done that. 
Sometimes we, we approach God's word as a reference book. What does God's word say about homosexuality? What does God's word say about money or things like that? And God's word stands up to that. It answers those questions. Uh, but it is more than a reference book. God's word gives us a comprehensive world to live in. It doesn't just answer questions about our world. It shows us the way the world really is. And God's word, so it tells us this is what you should think and do. It's telling us this is the way the world should be. And it invites us to live in that world, not just to ask God's world to come to speak to our world, if that makes sense. Now, it, it can answer the question, what should you say about homosexuality because someone you know just came out? But it gives you a comprehensive ethic of sexuality and gender so that you think rightly about those things and maybe it answers some of those questions before you ask them. God's word does answer the question, how do I resolve this conflict with my spouse? But it also says, this is how you live in understanding with your wife. It does more than just say, why is this trial happening to me? It says, this is how you know God, and this is how you love Jesus, so that when cancer comes, or when this COVID thing happens, or when everything just seems impossible right now, that you can still have hope in God. The, the verse that we read from Isaiah, where we can be satisfied in Jesus, God's word is, is equipping us to, to believe that and live that out when things don't seem satisfying. It, it gives us that world to live in. Now, there's one thing missing here. Maybe you're picking up on that. All these distinctives about what God's word, how it's working, are, are true. Uh, but there are other things that can kind of make some of those claims. You know, the, the, the Book of Mormon or... Uh, this is more than just Aesop's fables. Aesop's fables can say, this is the way that you should go. Don't do that. Don't do this. Do this. God's word is more than all of that. Because before Paul gets to these verses, let's go back one verse. In verse 15, he reminds Timothy that first of all, God's word at the end of verse 15 is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, the problem is not that we need some wisdom to know what happens when we go off the rails and then we can just get it right back up on. The problem is, you and I, none of us started out on the rails, if we're using that analogy. None of us started out generally good people and we just need a few corrections here and there to keep going on the straight and narrow. That's not the world the scripture tells us. The scripture tells us that we are born sinners. We're off the rails. And try as we might, we are... Even if we follow all the best words of wisdom, do this, don't do that in scripture, we can't set our train back up on the tracks ourselves. Uh, and maybe you feel that way. Maybe you have been living your life. I'm trying to obey the commands. Don't be angry. Don't lust. Speak kind words. And you cannot set yourself back up right because you, you keep falling off and you keep crashing and burning. That may be because scriptures have not yet made you wise to salvation. And all of the truth about that is not found in these verses, but scripture makes us wise in salvation, knows that we are born sinners. We need a savior. We need someone to come and make our spirit alive again so that we can be set right. Uh, and we're, when we're set right in faith in Christ, we are given a spirit that makes us able to do what we couldn't do before. 
if you have not been saved and been made new in Jesus, you cannot stay on the rails. And you cannot get back on when you fall off. But when scriptures make you wise for salvation, it makes this possible. It makes all of this work together. And it makes especially that that last phrase that we talked about, the training in righteousness, it makes that possible. Training in righteousness is not just kind of like a a flowery Christian phrase. It's like, uh, we need to add a, a good Christian word to training. Oh, well, it's like training in righteousness. No, training in righteousness is a specific idea there. This is not just general goodness. Righteousness is not just a list of do's and don'ts. Righteousness is not a thing. It's a person. Righteousness is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So if we're being trained in righteousness, we're being trained in Christ-likeness. We're becoming like Jesus. I hope that if you've been here or heard a faithful preacher or teacher in your life that you understand the Christian life is about being like Jesus. It's Christ-likeness. Sanctification is growing in Christ-likeness. That's what God's word does here. You can't do that if you've not been saved. You can't obey the words enough to be like Jesus if you've not been made wise to salvation. And the end result of all this is the last phrase in verse 17 that we are complete or equipped for every good work or competent depends on on your translation when we're made wise for salvation God's work does its work in us it makes us equip it makes us complete it equips us we're not made perfect that word complete there is not you're made perfect and so you have no more sin to deal with uh, it's, it means you're competent, you're given what you need to know, to think, to believe, to do. Uh, it's, it's two words there, it's kind of like a compound double superlative. It's like equipped equipped, double equipped. Uh, I don't know if you're in the habit of having your, your everyday carry stuff. When you leave the house, what are the essentials you need to have with you? Your phone, your wallet, your keys, maybe a, a pocket knife or something like that. That's not what's happening here in Scripture. Scripture is not just your everyday carry. It is fully equipped. It's not just, maybe you're a prepper. It's not just your bug out bag. It's not just what you need to survive for two or three days if the world falls down. This is like a fully stocked bunker that you can survive on indefinitely. It is completely equipped for every good work. It has everything that we need. Does God's word equip you to be a faithful husband or wife? Yes, it does. Does God's word equip you to know how to train your child? Yes. Does God's word equip you to have patience when your child wakes you up for the seventh time in one night? God's word equips you for that. Does God's word equip a church to know how to go two plus years in searching for a senior pastor? God's word can equip us for that. Does God's word equip us to know how to handle COVID? God's word can equip us for that. Does God's word, can God's word equip you to give hope to someone who is in the midst of depression? Yes, it can. Can God's word prevent you from being tempted by things that you were tempted by a year ago? Yes, it can. Can God's word equip you to know how to give hope and healing to someone who's the victim of abuse. God's word does that. Or the perpetrator of abuse. Yeah. God's not up in heaven wishing that he would have said more. 
He's not thinking, oh, I wish it would have added chapters so they would have known what to do with this virus and how to reopen their church. He's not saying that. He, he's not up in heaven wishing he would have prepared us to know what to think about the riots in Portland. God's word can equip us to do those things and to know those things and to think those things and want the right things right now. We, we might be tempted to think our world is so different. How can God's word speak to us? And we might be tempted to pull back from God's word, but that is not going to help us. Uh, I was reading one of my favorite authors recently, Kevin DeYoung, and he made this statement, shallow Christianity will not last in the coming generation and it will not grow. Cultural Christianity is fading, so we, the church, in the 21st century, we must go big on truth or go home. If we have no confidence in God's word as truth, we're going to fade. We're going to not grow. We're going to be subsumed into the, the, the world that we live in. We must go big on this truth. God's word works in us. It makes us wise for salvation. Then it teaches us, reproves us, corrects us, trains us for righteousness, equips us for everything. When we zoom in like this, it's kind of like looking at the way a virus works. Now, understand, uh, I, I really debated whether or not it's too soon to use a virus analogy, uh, but it works. It works at a microbiological level. We're saying this is what's happening in you when you individually encounter God's word, that it is getting inside you and, and doing these things. What is it? What are the effects when it ha this thing happens to you? This is what, um, kind of what we've been talking about with virus, but this is, this is the virus you want, God's word working in you and changing you. We should treasure God's word because it can do these things. What it's saying it does, that should be really, really valuable to us. It should make us want God's word more and more. In this context, Paul is not just making this doctrinal statement. This is what God's word does. He's making this, he drops this statement in this mi middle of an argument that he's making to Timothy. Uh, and it really, understanding this is a virus, he's saying, he's saying this is happening because he's talking about a bigger picture where there's this spread of the word, kind of like the, the spread of a virus. Uh, this, he's talking about the, the flow of God's word from person to person. We zoom out a little bit go back to verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and you firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's not just saying, believe in God's word. He's saying this because he first said, you remember how you learned God's word? You learned this from someone. And back at the beginning of the book, chapter 1, he, he reminds Timothy that he learned God's word from his grandmother and his mother. And then Paul was his teacher. Uh, and he's saying, uh, we're kind of going into this backwards, but he first said, you remember God's word and you, you, you valued it. You believed it because of who taught it to you. And then he gives him the argument, and now this is what it does. It's It's amazing. You should value it even more than because of what you learned at first. Uh, but this is not just an isolated thing. Paul, Timothy is not just interacting with God's word on his own. It came to him from someone else. It came to him from his grandmother, his mother. There's a, uh, a really 
profound statement that needs to be made here in understanding who was involved in Timothy's life and, and the profound opportunity that you mothers, grandmothers, and it's true for fathers and, and grandfathers too, the opportunity that you have to speak truth into your children, your grandchildren, some of your children or grandchildren may be a, a Timothy someday and look back and say, you know what? I believe this because my mom told me it or my grandmother told me that the Bible is true. Maybe they won't be a Timothy. Maybe they'll just be a, a faithful husband or a faithful wife and mother because they learned God's word from you. There, there's a profound opportunity that you have to invest in that. And, and other people as well, obviously the family relations are natural, but um, I know I, I learned what God's word is from some of you. Gary pointed that out. Gary was my Awana commander uh, when I was a child. And I, I remember his, his testimonies of, of God's word. And, and I remember him going through the, the trial that you went through when uh, you almost lost your vision because of that cow. Um, and I, I learned from that. Uh, I learned from the next Awana commander was Gary Brammer. I think he was right after you. Um, I learned from him. I learned from Carol Hansen. I learned about the faithfulness of God's word, and um, I, I believed it because of who was teaching it to me, the people that taught it to me, these teachers, my parents. I believed it because they were, they were trustworthy. I mean, if you, if you get a recommendation for a book or a movie that you need to watch, you know the people that you're like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that, right? You, you kind of have that category. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. Or someone recommends a restaurant to you, and you're like, yeah, not sure my palate is on the same plane as yours, so just because you said it's good, I, I'm not sure if I would trust that. But there are people that you know, if they say, you need to read this book, you'll read it, right? Or you need to go to that restaurant because uh, that's really good. You, you, you'll take their word for it. Paul's saying, reminding Timothy, he trusted God's word because of trustworthy people in his life. And uh, there's a very, very valuable thing with that. But because he received it, because Timothy received God's word, that word needs to be passed on. And he needs to be a trustworthy, faithful person to pass it on to someone else who will be willing to hear it. And this is what Paul referred to all the way back in chapter 2. He said, take what you've learned from me teach other men who will be able to pass it on to others also. Again, that kind of looks like a virus flowchart, right? Um, but God's word is supposed to be passed on. It doesn't just work in a single individual. It is supposed to spread. The gospel is supposed to spread, but also the teaching, the reproof, the correction, the training in righteousness. Uh, and that's interesting. Let's, let's put these ideas together. God's word works in us. It works through people. So God's word works in us because of other people. We can't separate those two. We don't just have God's, work into, work in, God's word work in us individually, in, in our own private world, uh, and then we connect with other people outside of that. God's word has to work through people as well. And, and the words that Paul uses here when he says, this is what God's word does. It teaches, it reproves, it corrects, it trains in righteousness. These are the same ideas down in chapter 4, verse 2. He commands Timothy, preach the word, 
reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So we, we talked about the function. God's word does this thing, and then there's supposed to be this flow. Paul is telling Timothy, function God's word in other people's lives. As you work with other people, you do what God's word is supposed to do. It's supposed to happen in this relationship, not just individually, but corporately and relationally. God's word works through that. Now, I does have to say to, to Timothy, teach God's word with patience, uh, whether you're a pastor or another teacher or you're a parent, God's word has to be taught with, with patience because we have that natural resistance to God's word. We have that sin that makes change and understanding come slowly sometimes. It does have to go with patience. What this means, though, if God's word works in us because of other people, it means that you may have to change what you're doing because of what you hear someone preach in a sermon. You may need to repent of something that you believe about God because of something you hear in a sermon. Or what you think about what the church should be. Or something that you just said to your spouse that morning. Some change may happen because of what you hear someone else minister God's word to you, to function God's word into your life. Or in a class that you have, you may learn, I shouldn't think that way. I shouldn't want that uh, from my family. I shouldn't expect that. And that may change something in you. Or a, a conversation that you have in the hallway here at church. Or if you ask a pastor something, or you have a faithful friend who will speak God's word to you, you may have to change something that you do because of that conversation. You may realize that I shouldn't judge someone, someone's commitment to church based on how they dress. Or I shouldn't think that about what music should be like in church, even if it's what we've always thought. God's word may work in you through someone else, and it should. We should expect that. That's not, it's not either or, it shouldn't be, you can't learn by yourself, I'm not trying to say that, Gary's example this morning, great testimony of how God has continued to speak to him through his word and his private devotions over 33 years, but that should not be divorced from the relational and corporate interactions of God's word working in us, They're, they need to work together. Let me boil it down to this a little bit here. Uh, this should be the virus that we want to spread. We, it should be a virus we want to have, a virus we want to spread. We should, we should care about the function of God's word, how it works in us because of the flow. If, if this is something that we valued because of who we heard it from, if my parents faithfully taught me this and they're, they're trustworthy, then I, then I should care about God's word and I should care that it does in me what God's word says it's supposed to do. If it's been faithfully handed down to me, then I should care that God's word does teach me. It does reprove me. It does rebuke me and train me for righteousness. We should also flip it around, though. If we should care about the flow because of the function. If, we, if the function is happening in us, if God's word is working in us, then it should flow through us. It shouldn't just stop with us. If God's word teaches and reproves and rebukes us, if it makes us complete for every good work, it shouldn't stop with us. It should be shared. It needs to spread. I would say maybe if one of those is not true, then maybe the other one isn't true. 
if we don't care about the flow of God's word from us to someone else, and maybe because it's not having its work in us, it's not functioning in us, that we're not treasuring it and letting it have its way in us, and so it's not spreading through us. Again, this virus analogy, I'm not sure if it was, I wondered if it was the best, but there's been a lot from this whole COVID situation, a lot of really good thinking and talking and teaching and uh, thinking through the challenges that, that our churches face. Um, I think one of the best things that I, I've read in the past couple months that has come out of the whole COVID situation is this quote from the, uh, the famous public theologian, the church curmudgeon. This is a, a farcical account on social media. It's kind of just Christians making fun of themselves. And I think there's really good room for that. Sometimes we take ourselves too seriously. Uh, but he posted this, this tweet a couple months ago. I think it's a little bit challenging. It turns out that asymptomatic Christianity doesn't spread either. If God's work is not having its work in your life, it's not going to spread. If you don't care about God's word spreading through you to someone else, it may be because you're an asymptomatic Christian which God's word suggests isn't really a thing. It's a good challenge. One last thing that we really need to pull out of these verses, and, and maybe you were wondering why we didn't start there, um, is, is the source of God's word. God's word, we were looked at the, uh, the function of it, the flow of it, but the source of God's word really matters to us too. And again, this is where the virus analogy breaks down. We don't want to equate God's word as kind of like the beginning of the coronavirus. And we really wander off into myths and, and, and <laughs> helpless babble there. Um, but God's word, we're talking about God's word. I'm using the words God's word because we're talking about scripture. Scripture is God's word. Back at the verse 16, the beginning, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's breathed out. Your word might, uh, your translation might use the word inspiration. That's the, the formal term we use, inspiration of God's word. Um, it is God's, God's breathed word. I'm, I'm talking right now, and so my words are being breathed out. When scripture speaks, these are God's breathed out words. When scripture speaks, God speaks. That gets into the inspiration it also speaks of the authority of God's word. If these are God's words, they speak with the full weight of what God says. This is God talking. So when scripture talks about itself, God is saying this is what scripture does. When scripture talks about what you should think and live and do, God is talking to you. There are other implications of that, the inerrancy of God's word, the infallibility of God's word. It's without error. When we connect it to these other ideas that we're talking about, God's word works in you because it's God's word. It does what it says it's going to do because these are God's words. God's words have power to accomplish what they're designed to do. No one else's words can do that. My words don't do that. I cannot be smart enough or clever enough or persuasive enough just by speaking to you to accomplish in you what I want you to do. That doesn't work. The sayings of Confucius and Buddha don't work this way. The Quran does not work like this. Seven habits of highly effective people does not work like this. 
Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life do not work like this. God's words have the power to accomplish what they say. We go all the way back to creation. Everything that we know that exists, where did it come from? It comes from God speaking. And when God puts his words out here in front of us and says, this is how you should live. Do this, don't do this. God's words have the ability to accomplish what they set out to do. They work in us because they're God's word. Now they also, uh, excuse me, they also work through people because they're God's word. Through people, through sinful, broken, fallible people. I said God's word is infallible, inerrant. People are not. People are not without error. We don't have a doctrine like the Catholic Church of papal infallibility that when you really want to be serious, you sit here and, and whatever you say is absolutely true without error. We don't have that doctrine. We don't believe that someone in this pulpit speaks without error. And yet God says he chooses to use those people to spread his word. And not just people behind the pulpit, people in the pews too. And it's a challenge. We, we do have uh, a challenge to understand how do we separate the truth of God's word from fallible people. And, and sometimes the teachers and preachers of God's infallible word make it kind of hard. Paul's not promising Timothy, you know, whatever you get up and say, the people are just going to believe and follow. We don't believe that. But God does use us as imperfect vessels to carry about the glory of his gospel. Uh, maybe you remember, hopefully many of you know who this guy is, Ronald Reagan, shaking hands with Mikhail Gorbachev. And during their peace talks back in the 70s and 80s, negotiating nuclear treaties, uh, this a Russian proverb, it originally started as a Russian proverb, became really, really popular. It's what Ronald Reagan chose to use to speak to the Russians uh, to understand how, how do we know that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And what did Ronald Reagan say? He said, trust, but verify. I'm going to trust you, but verify. I'm not going to trust you implicitly and, and never check you. I'm going to trust, but verify. And that's, that's a way to approach God's word. That's what, the, that's what the Bereans did to Paul. They, they trusted that he was speaking God's word to them, and then they went and verified it by looking at God's word themselves. Uh, but it was important in the way they did it. They didn't have a skeptical posture. They didn't have a cynical outlook. They didn't go and say, we, we doubt you. Uh, we, doubt, we doubt what you're going to say, so we're going to check it against God's word. No, they, they, they trusted. They looked forward to hearing God's word from him, and then they gladly went and saw that it was true in their, in their own copies of scripture. And, and so your posture matters. If you're going to rightly receive God's infallible truth from fallible humans, uh, you don't have a skeptical, doubtful, cynical outlook. Uh, it doesn't help us to, to do that. Uh, but that you, you hear God's word, you, you think, I, I believe that you're teaching me God's word, and I'm going to go and verify it. We, we trust and we verify it. Now, it does mean sometimes, because we're fallible people, that we have to correct things that are false. Second Timothy is full of Paul calling out false teachers. And unfortunately, people that used to be part of his ministry, people that he, he could trust, and then they've proven to be false teachers. Uh, and he has to correct and say, do not listen to that person. He had to call out Peter for his actions. He didn't end up calling Peter a false teacher, but he had to say, Peter, what you're doing and what you're teaching by your actions, 
That's not true, and, and we have to teach something different now. We have to do that, unfortunately. It's not because one teacher or preacher is better, it's but because God's word speaks to that. There may be things that we know, or we think we know, and we've always believed, but God's word has to come in and bear on it. May have been taught when you were a child or as an adult, something that's not true about God, unfortunately. And God's word has to come in and correct that. Uh, and maybe one of God's teachers or preachers has to come in and, and help you correct that. Something you've always believed or held dear. Unfortunately, sometimes that has to change. I've had to change things that I believed about God or believed about his word over time. Something that you think has always been true in our church may have to change. The, the way that we do things or, or something that uh, is part of the, the DNA of our church. If it's, if it's not biblical, it needs to change. Or if it's, it, maybe it's something that doesn't really matter, but it's held as biblical and, and we just need to do it a different way. God's word has to have that way in us. We need to have ears ready to hear and be corrected, even the things that we think we might be right in. There's a difference between filtering God's word and holding it against a standard of God's word and filtering against something else. If, if you are tuning out God's word because you like a different preacher better, that may not be a, the best way to tune out or, or filter what a preacher is saying. Even worse, if you look down here in chapter 4, Paul is telling Timothy, you need to preach the word. Down in verse 3, there's coming a time when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What is the filter they're using? What is determining whether or not they're going to listen to a preacher? It's their own passions. Passion is not a good word here. It's desires and desires that lead astray. Down in verse 10, or yeah, verse 10 here, Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me. Someone that Paul relied on because of his passion, same word there, love for this present world, his passions led him to betray the gospel ministry and the apostle Peter. Do not use your passions as a standard on which to judge whether or not you're going to listen to God's word. It will lead you astray. It is not good. Let's wrap this all up with the final conclusion here. Paul spent time reminding Timothy, remember who faithfully gave you God's word. And then this really good doctrinal nugget. This is what God's word does. We should love it. We should treasure it. We should let it have its work. We should let it flow through us because of that. So that Paul then concludes this next, next section here, chapter 4. I charge you. What are you going to do with all that? Do this. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. We, we've already talked. It should then pass on. Let's not miss the weight of this charge. Why, why does it matter whether or not Timothy preaches the word if it passes on through him? Paul is saying it matters in front of the throne of God in Christ Jesus who is going to judge the world. Out of all the things that God cares about on his throne, he cares about whether or not his word is going to be preached and taught. It's going to pass from one person to the other. 
And that, that matters to me as a preacher. But it doesn't not matter to you as a listener. If it matters so much that God wants his word to be preached and taught, then you better listen. You better tune in. God cares about that. Don't tune in like you're casually listening to the announcements at the pre-flight checkup when they're telling you how to buckle your seatbelt. Tune in like the plane is going down. You're going to listen to the stewardess then, right? Our world's going down in flames. Tune in to God's word. Tune in like you're in a war and this is your commanding officer telling you what to do. Because we are. And that's what this is. Tune in to God's word. Being preached, being taught in your private study, tune in. That's why Paul says to, to Timothy, back at the beginning of, of this, this text, continue in what you believe. Don't give up on God's word. Don't get slack. Don't lose little momentum. Continue. Because this is a resistance you don't want. This is a virus you want to have, a virus that needs to spread. You do not want a resistance to this. This is not healthy for you. Tune in to God's word. Treasure God's words because of who you learn them from, because of what they can do in you, and they have the power to do it, because it flows through you, because they're God's words. So let them function in you. Let them do what they're supposed to do uh, and flow through you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that your word itself testifies about its truth, and it tells us all these things. It tells us how it's supposed to work. We thank you that it's been faithfully passed on to each of us. God, I pray that we would not be resistant to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.